Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector, designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen, and enhance your efficiency. In today's episode number 16, we'll talk about how to successfully submit a reimbursement dossier in Australia. An interview with Alan Brenovich on the statistician's perspective on this submission. This podcast is sponsored by PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives for statisticians. Learn more about upcoming events at psiweb.org. Hello, this is another episode of the Effective Statistician. Um, I'm very happy today that we have uh, a dear friend and colleague of mine, Alan Brunovich, from Australia calling into this interview today. Hi, Alan. Hello, how are you going? Hi, Alan. <laughs> and of course, we have uh, my co-host, Benjamin Pieske, here as well. And my name is Alexander Schacht. The um, topics that we will talk today about are PBAC submissions. And if you don't know what that is, just hang in in a moment and we'll clarify that. So, but first, uh, let's introduce our guest. Um, I'm working with him for, for quite a long time, and he's a well-known expert on real-world evidence, HTA submissions, uh, on all these kind of different topics within our company. And um, so, Alan, maybe you want to talk a little bit about your history um, and your work experience and whether you have any kind of special interest topics with regard to statistics. Sure. I don't want to reveal too much about my uh, job history because it might reveal my age, but I've been working as a statistician for <clears throat> over 20 years um, in various places, including the health department here in Australia, um, a research institute called the George Institute, as well as uh, the corrective services in the uh, research Uh, and statistics unit before I joined Eli Lilly. So each of those jobs were interesting in their own right and involved a mix of clinical trials as well as observational real-world studies. Um, I suppose my special interests of late are really working in statistics in the late phase, so observational studies, real-world evidence, and also trying to get... Um, our medicines reimbursed through health technology assessment. So I'm involved a lot in that sort of work, not just in Australia, but around the Asia Pacific and now a little bit in Europe. Very good. And uh, by the way, uh, Ellen is working from home today. And so you might hear some kids in the background. So, so yeah. <laughs> don't be disturbed by that. Um, so I mentioned in the beginning that today we will talk about uh, PBAC. Uh, can you explain a little bit what that is and why that's important? Sure. So PBAC stands for Pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee, and it's a independent expert body which has been appointed by the Australian government. Um, the members on this um, body include doctors, health professionals, health economists, and consumer representatives. And its primary role is really to recommend new medicines for listing on the PBS, which is the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, which is the subsidy scheme uh, for medicines. Now, 
no new medicine can be listed unless the committee makes a positive recommendation. And the PBC, PBAC sorry, meets uh, three times a year, usually in March, J- July, November, which means if um, pharmaceutical companies want to try and get their products listed, they have three opportunities to do that. Now, the PBAC is, is a little bit complex and it has two subcommittees to assist with um, analysis and advice um, when making recommendations. There's a drug utilisation subcommittee as well as an economics subcommittee. So it's, it's uh, very important to make sure um, the right documents are put in at the right time. And why, just to answer your second question, why PBAC is important? Well, in Australia, without successful reimbursement of medicines, access to medicine for Australian patients can be limited or even impossible to access, especially for those that can't afford the medicines. Uh, And also, without the PBAC uh, recommendation, it's also um, important that the medicine gets uh, accessed quickly. So timely access is the other important reason for PBAC. So PBAC basically is very similar to what we have in Germany, the the ICWIC or in uh, UK, NICE or the French Transparency. Yeah, similar sort of idea. So it's a health technology assessment body. So that's correct. Yeah. And it both looks into the medical value, but also into the costs of the uh, of the new. Uh, Correct. Service. So it's um, it, it looks at what's called the value for money um, of the treatment, as well as the cost of you know the cost effectiveness. So it looks at um, you know what the actual medicine was registered for in Australia. It looks at its clinical effectiveness. It looks at its safety and its cost effectiveness, um, and can and in particular compared to other treatments that are currently available in in the market in Australia. When we talk about comparing to other treatments, um, so lots of our studies that we usually do from a phase three perspective are placebo-controlled and sometimes only placebo-controlled. What evidence is actually needed to have a successful PBAC submission? Can you just hand in these placebo-controlled studies? uh, Good question. Very good question. Um, Unfortunately, you can't. So um, as you've pointed out, usually the head-to-head evidence that's available is against placebo. But in the Australian market, they're interested in um, an active comparator. So usually based on a couple of criteria, either either market share or um, similar sort of mode or mechanism of action. So the head-to-head evidence, unless that is against your comparator of interest that's agreed upon um, before submitting, you have to use indirect evidence. Um, And usually the indirect evidence is in the form of adjusted indirect comparisons. Occasionally methods like uh, mixed treatment comparisons slash network meta-analysis are used, but primarily uh, the Australian uh, reimbursement bodies, or PBAC, are interested in uh, uh, indirect comparisons. So applying the Bucher method would be the usual way forward to, to come Correct. up with Correct, and they have a, a, 
guidance document that actually spells that out quite specifically uh, that to, to use the Booker method. And in fact, they um, always want you to present the random effects uh, models uh, for the meta-analysis and using the Decimian and Laird uh, estimator for tau. So they're very specific in what they want. They also specify that they want uh, risk differences, relative risks, odds ratios, and number needed to treat. So they make it very clear what they want, which which is good. Okay, and then for, for each of these approaches, the relative risk difference, uh, you, you would need to have a p-value for, for each of them, or do you do a one p-value kind of overall? How do you come up with an indirect yep, comparison so there? The obviously, as you know, it's a two-step process to do the indirect comparison. It's the, the meta-analysis first, then the indirect comparison. So um, all uh, measures of risk, um, need their associated confidence intervals and p-values within the meta-analysis as well as the indirect comparison um, you you know you need the confidence interval plus the p-values for that as well plus they uh, ask for all heterogeneity measures as well as the i squared and its limits of uncertainty as well so they're very specific and of course they want to see forest plots and they want you to discuss uh, if you do see some heterogeneity in your meta-analysis, if you have more than two studies, you know what you will do with that, how you address that, and what that actually means. So you really need to have a pretty good understanding of uh, meta-analysis and all these kind of different problems around heterogeneity within that, the different heterogeneity approaches, um, how to explain heterogeneity to actually be successful. Correct. Here. And I think um, you also need to know your studies inside out, um, the inclusion-exclusion criteria, and really understand what patients are going in that meta-analysis. Um, so if you do see observed differences between the studies and the heterogeneity uh, is present, um, then what could be driving that? You know, is it different? Um, baseline risk factors? Is it effect modifiers? Uh, is it the time that the study was conducted? You know, we see a lot with some of our immunology studies that, um, you know, some of them are conducted 10 years ago and the treatment of these patients have changed dramatically. So you see differences in the common comparator, which anchors the indirect comparison, um, you know, across these studies. Um and that, that is an issue, of course, because if the common comparator uh, response rates aren't similar across the trials, then you have an issue doing the indirect comparison. Okay, so in terms of, um, you mentioned kind of you need to take care of the patient population that goes into this, actually, so, so would you have sometimes kind of a, a situation where you basically look at only a subsection of your um, or subpopulation of your phase three studies in order to come up with a treatment effect that you then can plug in into the indirect. That's a good comparison. question. Yes, um, sometimes the listing um, for the uh, medicine in Australia may be a little bit different to the clinical trial phase three program. So um, sometimes sub subgroups or subsets of the population are needed, um, and hopefully the um, you know, the competitor's um, information is presented in that same way um, 
for those same subgroups or or subpopulations. Uh, if they're not, of course, you know it's almost impossible to do that uh, analysis. And does the um, does the PBAC sometimes come back with requests to extend, for example, the population? So, if, so what what are the requirements in general that the uh, PBAC is then um, asking you, or the, how to interact when when they interact with you? Yeah, so that's a, another good question. So it is possible that there could be um, line extensions, but it's discussed and negotiated up front before the dossier is submitted uh, what that population will be. And PBAC are um, also uh, interested in the budget aspects of um, the treatment. So they really want to know what sort of patients are patient numbers are expected for this treatment um, and what sort of uptake there will be and how much uh, your new treatment that you're proposing to get reimbursed will, you know, I suppose supersede other treatments that are on the market. So, you know, it's it's rare that the PBAC will ask for um, line extensions unless it's some, you know, breakthrough medicine like a new oncology drug that's first in class best in class okay so how long or how much of interaction is there needed from your side um anyway i mean it's the obviously i mean you are as a statistician you're um in a way responsible to to um, clarify questions up front as you said or before so how For how long are you involved usually in such a submission and uh, how much of interaction is needed? Yeah, so usually the statistician in Australia doesn't go to the PBAC. It's usually the um, pricing reimbursement access or health economists that actually have the discussions with the PBAC. But because they're a uh, government body, they can't really give opinions of, of what... Uh, we should be doing so we have to come in with a, a strategy and be confident with that strategy it's also helpful if uh, other companies have actually already listed um, their their drugs on the PBAC because um, documents are available called public summary documents which um, are available to everyone which we can look and, and see what sort of strategy and approach that they took but in terms of preparation and timing, um, as early as possible. It's um, The statistician should be involved right at the beginning, um, should be involved discussing at the global level um, what the strategy is for each of the countries, um, what sort of data is needed, because there's a combination of actual clinical trial data, so from the Phase three program, as well as the indirect evidence which comes from systematic literature review. So, um, you know, there's a lot of requests that are needed. Once you've submitted that dossier, um, it then gets reviewed and it comes back um, after a period of time with a whole lot of questions that you have a week to address. So that's another opportunity for the statistician to be involved um, and try and address the questions that come back. Well, one week is really like a, <laughs> there is a need actually to be available. So don't take vacations. That's right. It's it's very well planned. Yes. So we actually have uh, the March submission coming up, uh, as you know. And so 
I'm trying to take my vacation uh, as soon as I can before they call me up. <laughs> yeah, one week is a great <laughs> opportunity, but I, I true, would probably true. call the it thing a is, you you do prepare that. and anticipate. So we do a lot of extra analyses, indirect comparisons that we don't put in the submission, but you know anticipate they may ask us just in case uh, they do, and we have it ready. So that that has happened in the past. Yeah, so so basically you check your submission, think of all the different questions that may, might come up in order to be able to respond within a week. Sorry, I was just going to say, we also call on our global counterparts for assistance during that period. Yeah, I think there's, it's really important to have a very close uh, collaboration here between those that uh, do the submissions on the local HTA levels uh, together with those that work on the um, global phase three program. Uh, if that's not there, then everything is, I think, far more difficult. Um, and uh, I think that also what is needed there is a very good mutual understanding of what are the needs of the different uh, countries or what are the needs of the different um, uh, requirements from a regulatory and from an HTA point of view. And, you know, the, the look on the data is just very, very different if you, if you talk to the EMA or the FDA or if you talk to the PBAC That's or correct, any yeah. other HTA body. So, what are the typical challenges? Yes, from there, the there are many. Um, often they're, they're concerned about the quality or uncertainty of the evidence. So like uh, most evidence uh, assessing bodies, you know, the, they follow the hierarchy of evidence. So if you've got a randomized controlled trial, phase three, then and that shows um, convincing superiority, then you know, you're in a good position. But as we know, as we discussed earlier, that's often not the case. So when you start using methods like adjusted indirect comparisons via the Booker method, that evidence is a lot lower down on the evidence hierarchy. And in fact, they call that evidence observational, post hoc observational evidence. Um, so that's a challenge, making sure you have the, uh, the highest quality evidence. The other challenges include, and this is not um, uncommon to Australia, uh, I, I believe that this is an issue around the world, the generalizability of the results um, from the phase three trials. So often the phase three trials have a certain inclusion exclusion criteria with a certain population in mind. However, it doesn't actually reflect the true paper uh, patient population that the drug will be listed for. So in Australia, for example, for psoriasis, the clinical trials were, I think, uh, for a PASI baseline score of greater than uh, 12. Is that right, Alexander? Um, whereas yes. in Australia, the, the patient population is uh, for those that have a PASI baseline score of greater than 15. So already you have that discrepancy in in the patient base. Um, however, this is something that all the HTA bodies around the world are facing and, then, and there are methodologies that that um, our group and um, some of the universities are working on to try and tackle this issue. Um, the other challenge is uh, what comparator 
do you choose? Uh, as I said before, sometimes it's based on share of market or sometimes the mechanism of action. I mean, you can choose a, a comparator that, you know, you're likely to win against, but it may not be appropriate. So how do you choose that comparator and how do you agree and and what sort of evidence you present? Like do you, if you have 10, uh, you know, medicines in the market that are indicated for the same condition as yours, do you do indirect comparisons against all 10 or do you choose the, you know, the most expensive or the least expensive? You know, there are a lot of issues there and, and we get challenged for that. Also, another common one is, excuse me, if there are any safety issues that are flagged by the FDA or the EM, EMEA, um, you know, they'll pick up on that and um, question you about that. So you need to make sure you have um, present all the evidence relating to safety. And, of course, the uncertainty around the patient uptake of the drug and the impact of that on the overall budget is a, is a big concern as well because if you underestimate uh, the patients that will take the drug, um, then that has huge implications on the budget. So these are some of the things that um, are, are typical challenges. Yeah, I think some of these are similar to other HTA bodies, but I think what seems to be very special for PBAC is that you don't actually have a um, upfront kind of pre-submission uh, discussion with CPBAC, like what, what's possible in other markets, so, so, so you where you can actually get some guidance on what the comparator might be, what the, you know, um, endpoints of interests are and and where you possibly can get some further information on any any other yeah that's correct topic. and i think uh, i think in the last i'm not sure i think it was five years that <clears throat> there is a fee uh for putting in a submission by the sponsored company i'm not sure if that's the same in other countries but there's a set fee that you have to pay if you put a submission in yeah i think in germany there's also a fee but I remember it's much more kind of a nominal fee. It's not really covering the, the complete expenses. Um, at least not what I think is based on the, the overall amount of data that is actually put in. So, so to have that um, very well understood, I think that the nominal fee is not covering that. So in terms of use, you, you talked that some of this data is actually later available to the uh, public. So um, companies that come later can actually learn from it and uh, um, make better judgments in terms of how to uh, submit their dossier. Um, how does that uh, work? Is that is everything in there or what's what's in this? Um, sure, uh, good version? question. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, these are called public summary documents and they're released after uh, the PBAC makes their recommendation. So usually it's a few months after the decision. So um, there was a recent Etanacept public summary document that was released in December after the August 2017 PBAC meeting. Um, it's not 
the entire dossier. It's an abridged version, um, and there are key bits of data and key decisions in there. However, uh, if something is commercial in confidence, the, the sponsor can request to have that uh, blacked out or redacted. Uh, but it does give you an idea of what information has been presented by other companies, what approach, uh, what what comparators they've chosen, and uh, how successful they were at that. So that, I suppose that's our way of the discussion uh, that you would have in with your HTA body. Uh, you know, we use these public summary documents. Um, of course, it's not as good as having a, a direct conversation, but um, you know, it's better than not having anything. Um, Alan, you know, you mentioned that that obviously that there's a strong need for methodology background that you need for for the, to to do this task. What exactly, or how would you kind of summarize um, what is needed for a statistician to take the role that you are currently doing? So, what is the the requirements, or what what would be need be uh, need to be the um, um, the key? Uh, I don't. Know, tasks or interactions of the statistician to do um, a PBAC uh, submission? Sure. Uh, good question. Um, well, firstly, an understanding of the clinical data. Um, so, and sort of an, a, cre a creative approach of presenting information. I think um, there is so much information to present you in the dossiers. You have to... Uh, There are like uh, five sections in a dossier. Um, one of them is the clinical section, which requires you to present all available evidence from not only from your trials, but all the trials um, from other companies. So, you know, presenting that information, you then when you're doing the um, indirect comparison or head-to-head -head comparisons, what's a... a A good way to present that information so you know knowledge of meta-analysis is vital knowledge of indirect comparisons uh, network meta-analyses um, understanding a little bit about economic models um, you know are all crucial skills Are you are you involved in directly in the programming task as well to prepare the um, to prepare um, the dossier or is it is it that you're working then together with Hematics and and the programming team to get a combination? Stuff? So uh, for the um, clinical data, so from the randomized control trials, often working with the programmers because um, and the regulatory t uh, statisticians because they're the experts with that sort of data. Uh, as far as the indirect comparisons or network meta-analysis, we uh, do that within our team. So I do a little bit of programming, but we also have other programmers uh, and we have tools that, um, that help us uh, uh, do that programming. But the nice thing is um, for the indirect comparisons, it's very simple methodology. Um, and for the network meta-analysis, you know, all the code is available up on the NICE website. Um, so if statisticians want to start from scratch, that's a good place to go. Another good place to go is the Canadian um, health um, site, the CADETH website. That also has some good documentation and, and tools as well. And of course, uh, tools like R and um, uh, RevMan, which is used through the Cochrane collaboration, are also good, good tools to use.
Yeah, no, another good resource is actually the upcoming one-day PSI, PSI workshop on real-world evidence, where we will touch base actually on lots of these different topics like generalizability, um, indirect comparisons, what are the new approaches that we have there. So um, there's a couple of um, new methodologists that are emerging that um, also adjust for baseline differences between different studies. Um, and so if you want to learn more about these kind of things that we just discussed to be better prepared, I think that uh, workshop will be a very, very good um, good way to learn this year about this and to uh, grow your expertise in this level. And we will actually have lots of different people from um, universities, from uh, different companies there that will work together. It will be much more like a workshop style than um, a series of presentations. So there will be lots of possibilities to interact and to learn and to ask the questions that you are uh, not familiar with. Um, just look onto the psi.web, uh, psiweb.org homepage and check out the timing of this um, one day event. Register and it will be in Bad Homburg in Germany. A nice little city, very easy to reach via Frankfurt Airport. So thanks a lot, Alan, for the discussion today. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for having me and putting up with uh, this Australian accent. <laughs> they are, they are, you know, there are accents that are really worse. <laughs> oh, that's, good. that's good to hear. <laughs> and we actually didn't oh, hear good. so much your kids in the background. That was also <laughs> nice. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thanks, thanks a lot, Alan. Bye. We thank PSI for sponsoring this show. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your colleagues about it.